Hello and welcome back to Real Time Strategy, a podcast all about the gaming industry. I'm Sam Mosier. I'll be your host for the week, and I'm joined by game designer Zach Gage. Zach has helped create some of the all-time best iOS games, in my opinion, including Spell Tower, Ridiculous Fishing, Really Bad Chess, and more. And I'm thrilled to talk to him today about his new game project, Puzmo. Uh, Zach, thank you so much for your time today, for joining us. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. Everything's a bit of a blur, uh, but thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah, we're happy to have you this week. Uh, so when we have a new guest on the show, Zach, we like to start with a warm up question. And, and one we always like to get to know people by is by asking them about their favorite games. So Zach, what are some of your all time favorite games? I mean, it's a long list. And I I think um, uh, a lot of a lot of the list is a little boring because I'm <laughs> a millennial. So it's filled with all the standard uh, stuff that you would expect like, um, fallout and final fantasy seven and deus ex, um, you know, just everything that was really cool and groundbreaking for a minute, uh, during, during that time. And then I guess, um, lately I am really invested in apex legends. Uh, we play that game with the, the team on Posmo. So we play it almost every day. Um, and then we also, uh, I'm very into Hearthstone Battlegrounds. Lately, pretty much the games that I'm interested in are games where you, they're interesting and fun, but they're hard enough and they expect you to learn on your feet. I think the thing that I really can't abide anymore is any kind of handholdy tutorial in games. And so mm. games where uh, there's enough going on that it's, an interesting adventure um then maybe a little bit overwhelming is like a really big thing for me so also I, I loved elden ring and dark souls and all those games too which i think is a very similar kind of like that's just throw the the player into the into the fire and but also really respect them um and give them the tools uh that they would need to figure this out if if they are gonna be that kind of player yeah i i like that i i look for that in games these days nowadays too there was a, a good blog post i read recently about like the tutorial leash um in in games and how it's in many AAA games getting increasingly longer, it feels like you're still several hours in and there's still certain reins being put on the character. And I think that is what has made the FromSoft games in particular so popular is because, like you said, they just kind of let the players loose and uh, trust them to learn it as they go. Yeah, I think with um, it's kind of funny to, to use the FromSoft games as an example because their style of teaching is very like we're just going to drop you in the forest and drive away, which is like not, <laughs> not exactly the most friendly version of it. But I do think um, the, the thing that's going on in their games is actually, you know, doesn't have to be done in a way that is sort of as aggressive um, as what, as what they do. Mm -hmm. um, which is fine. I, I really appreciate it. And same with Hearthstone Battlegrounds. Like Hearthstone Battlegrounds is a game where you're drafting cards on a very serious time limit. And if you try to get into it, your first 20 or 30 games, you're basically losing because you're spending all of your turns just reading the cards, let, let alone trying to figure <laughs> out what they do and how to, how to play properly, um, which I enjoy. Um, but it isn't for everyone. But the, I think that if you back up, um, the thing that, that, that I kind of, the experience that I've kind of started to have with these games, especially as I've made more games is 
I'm very interested in a particular kind of education of players when I'm making games. And I think elegant games use a very particularly different kind of education. Um, so like a game, most modern games where they have a tutorial where they slowly un, un, unravel new pieces and every menu, they pop up a pop-up and they tell you everything. That's like um, a very kind of in vogue style of education that I don't know if that's still what we're doing, but it's certainly what the education was like when I was in high school um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. It's this sort of like ladder approach where you're going to have a bunch of standardized tests and you're going to tell people what to do and then they're going to do it and then you're going to check that they did it and then you're going to give them something a little harder and keep moving in that way. Um, but that's not the only way to learn in a video game. There are lots of ways to, to learn and teach in a video game. And I think if you go back farther and you start looking at something like... Um, like Pac-Man, like Pac-Man could have had a tutorial level where you have to gather five dots in a square and then you get to go to the next level. And then the next level has a, a power pellet and you have to run away from a ghost and then grab the power pellet and then go back and, and, uh, and kill the ghost. And then you get to play the real game. Like that could be the way that Pac-Man is tutorialized. Um, but it isn't. And it's notable because Pac-Man is, you know, one of the most successful games of all time. Uh, and it's successful with an audience that has no understanding of video games at all. Right. In, in the arcades, when Pac-Man came out, most of the people who played it had never played a video game before, let alone never played Pac-Man or never used a joystick or any of any of these things. But the education works because the way that the education works in Pac-Man is Pac-Man is basically like a sandbox that doesn't give you any particular objectives. And you have to sort of determine for yourself what a fun objective would be. And a lot mm. of people who play Pac-Man probably, you know, coming at it fresh might not even realize that there is a level after the first level um, or that the answer to how you beat the first level is to collect all the dots. They might be trying to eat the ghosts as many times as they can. They might be trying to optimize power pellet use or just like clear an area of the board. There's, there's a lot of pieces. And so uh, for me with the games that I make, um, what I always try to do is create a game that has sort of the qualities of a sandbox. If you come at it as a, as a fresh player, if you're an inexperienced player who doesn't know what they're doing, it should feel kind of like a sandbox where there's a bunch of really obvious sort of le levers to pull and you can pull them and see what happens and then continue your, um, progress through the game and like discover different things. And then sort of the more things you start to understand as you start to see how the sandbox works, um, the more constraints you start to discover. And then you realize that, okay, well, if I want to be playing this really well, I have to do things within a sort of narrower set of constraints. Mm. Um, and that's really big for me is like the, the sandbox should seamlessly turn into a very constrained, interesting game. And the magic of a really good game is one that, that can sort of make that transition. And so that's part of why um, these tutorials that are very handholdy just don't work for me anymore. It's not even that I already know the stuff, you know, because if you sit down with a RPG that has a 30 hour tutorial, like, I don't know how these systems work. It's more <laughs> that there's just another way to teach it that that they're not doing and i think fromsoft does a great job teaching that way and the fact that their games are really traditionally hard has sort of buried some of the um really elegant and 
super player friendly stuff that they, that they're actually doing um, in, in in the discourse around it. Yeah, that's really. In- I, I like the sandbox analogy, especially using Pac Man. I'd never really thought about the idea of a tutorial maze in Pac Man and what that would have looked like. Whereas instead, the game trusts you to put you in the the sandbox and learn the way to navigate it and, and find your way out of it, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it trusts you and it gives you the tools, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody, you know, if you sit down with Pac-Man, there's a couple things you realize right away. One of them is that if if you, when you move, you eat dots and who knows what that means, but there are more dots and if you moved, you'll eat them. There are giant blinking things on the screen that seem to be trying to get your attention for some reason. And there are ghosts that are chasing you like in a way that feels very visceral. And so you put all of those tools together and it's like, giving you all the information that you need. It's not a game where you have to seek out what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, I think like even a, a game that's very well respected for the particular kind of other sort of tutorial, which is like Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers does a good job, but it actually gives you a lot less information because like when you start Super Mario Brothers, it's not obvious that you're supposed to go right, but then you mm-hmm. figure it out and then you start to sort of bring all of the other pieces in. Um, so it does do a good job at teaching, but in like way less of a, a sort of holistic um, way, whereas Pac-Man really like just flags everything that matters to you right away. Yeah, that's interesting because you know mario the first thing you learn is yeah you move left there's you know eventually stops you must go right and then the next thing is a goomba comes your way and if you don't learn how to jump you're dead and so it's an interesting way to to parcel out the tutorial if you will in that way while still not explicitly telling the player press a to jump you know right right but i think i I think mario got people on this path of like Mm. oh we can like do a thing and then test you in an, in an invisible, elegant way. Cause Mario has these like designed levels, right? It's like, it's, it's a very, um, like the witness approach to, to teaching, which is like, we're going to step you through these things. And Mario does a great job at it. So you don't, you know, it, it, there are ways to skip, there are secrets. They like figured out a way to sort of make the ladder that you are slowly climbing, have a bunch of, um, elegant jumps, but, but um, but Pac-Man doesn't do any of that stuff. Pac-Man is just the whole game is the first level of Pac-Man. And yet <laughs> the game is incredibly deep and you can play over and over again and learn a lot and discover things like it's all there. But you're looking at it all at the start. Um, like I think a really elegant thing that Pac-Man does on this on in, like in this respect is that you cannot move without eating dots. So it like shows you one of the things that would have been difficult for them to teach right away. And the game doesn't start until you move. So mm-hmm. you're just looking at a screen until you make the choice to move left or right. And then all of a sudden you're playing and you're eating dots and you're being chased by ghosts and you're navigating the maze. And you've just like been dropped into this thing that's so elegant that you don't even notice that it that is actually amazing. Uh, well, Pac-Man's one of my favorite games and I could definitely spend the whole episode talking about it. But <laughs> Sorry, let's talk about answers. your latest sandbox, Zach. <laughs> uh, Puzmo, it launched uh, in mid-November. Uh, sorry, this episode will be coming out in November, but uh, it launched in mid-October. It's in beta right now. Uh, anybody's interested in it can go out and check it out at puzmo.com. Um, so, Zach, for those listening, what is Puzmo? How would you describe it to our listeners and viewers? So, Puzmo is we set out to make a digital version of the paper games page. 
um, which is something that a lot of people would say they've done, but I don't think they actually have done it. There's a lot of magic to the newspaper games page. Uh, there's a lot of design in the actual design of what a newspaper games page is, how it works, how puzzles are laid out, what's going on there. And I think if you kind of back up and look at um, other kinds of web game experiences, they're largely um, a bunch of links on a website where you click a link and you go and you play a puzzle. And that's very different than what Puzzmo is. Puzzle, Puzzmo feels a lot more like playing a games page and filling out a whole page um, when you play it. And the other part of it uh, that's important is that it's really designed to be kind of a place and a community. And um, it's, uh, we're trying to bring a lot of the really amazing features that gamers are used to from things like Fortnite or Roblox um, that really make those games into a place that you go and exist with your friends uh, to the kinds of games that, that players who are interested in crossword games or uh, other newspaper style daily puzzle games um, could experience. I guess there's, there's a lot of a lot of different stuff around that, but that's sort of the shortest answer I can give on that. Yeah, and I'm excited to pull and, and, and dig into each of those. So when did the initial seed of Puzmo begin and, and what was that seed? And, you know, and then we can get into how it's changed since then. Yeah, I think there were a lot of different things. Um, my my sort of subconscious is a, is a, is a soup of, of, of ideas that sometimes surface and connect to each other and make it right to do things. Um, I think probably the furthest back I can get uh, was just an experience I had talking with the New York Times games department on their uh, games maybe 10 years ago um, and going through a couple meetings with them and, and spending a lot of time on my own thinking about like, oh, if, you know, if I can convince these people to pay me a bunch of money to reimagine their games page, what would I do? Um, and then it turned out that, uh, they sort of weren't interested in spending money on their games at that moment. Um, which I, of course was like, that's horrible. These people are out of their mind. Don't they see, <laughs> don't they understand games matter? Um, and so kind of over the years thinking about ways to make a more approachable crossword, um, mm -hmm. have been, uh, you know, just something in the back of my mind. Um, and then also, there's uh, other pieces like I do a lot of meta, like uh, adjusting the meta around a game. Um, I make really small games. So a big part of making a, a, a very small game into a bigger experience is thinking about different modes that you could play or ways that you could play it like times of day, ways that you could build tournaments around it. Um, the do daily challenges make sense. So, stuff like that um, is a really... Uh, a big area that I, that I spend a lot of time thinking and we've had some really big successes around that area. Um, including probably notably, uh, Doug Wilson and I basically pitched Derek Yu on doing daily challenges in Spelunky and convinced him to do them. Um, and now oh, wow. that's in everything. Uh, so that was, that's probably the one that if people 
like have maybe had an experience of mine, even if they haven't played uh, the games that I'm playing or, or that I'm creating. Um, but so that area is really interesting, but it's very hard to go too far down that road uh, unless you have like an account system and a very robust backend. And doing that means having, this is so, so technical and boring, but doing that means like doing security and making sure that everything is safe and, and basically stuff that like as a solo or, or, or small uh, group developer just never made sense. And so, um, there was just a moment in time where, uh, my co-founder Orda and I were sitting around and thinking like, you know, I want to do these things that are more complicated that we need like a very, a, a, a kind of a real company to support. Um, and I've been talking about this games page stuff for a while and we were looking at the times product and we thought, you know what, they don't have very many games and of the games they have, there are only a few that we think are really good. Um, we don't really see them releasing new games. So it's unclear to us if they, if they've got, um, the, uh, the, if they built a department that is even interested in creating new original games. Um, and then their platform is really not a platform. It's just a bunch of links. So, you know, this is a very big target. Obviously this is a sort of famous institution, but it feels like almost a little bit of a, of a soft target for us because we have way more games. We know how to make a platform that's going to be very exciting and it's going to do a lot on top of this stuff. And, and, and it's not clear that, that they would be able to directly compete with us, even if we did that. And then also there just aren't that many games in this space. Um, there are a lot of good ones, but they've sort of been scooped up arbitrarily by different people trying to do fast follows on Wordle. Um, and there's, there's just not a party out there that has so many original, um, games in the space, except for me. So, you know, <laughs> the New York times, we don't know if they can compete with us and it doesn't seem like anyone else could compete with us. So maybe this is, this is a, a like an idea that's like just crazy enough to work. <laughs> well, <laughs> I love it. I've been admittedly checking it every day and I've only once gotten the key. Um, so, so for those unfamiliar, how Puzmo is working right now, as it is in beta, is that um, you can log on to, again, Puzmo.com and complete a puzzle. Um, but there are only, at least at the time of recording, um, 500 keys. And if you are one of those first 500 to complete the daily puzzle, you get a key to then unlock this more fuller page of puzzles that we've been showing on the video version. Um, Zach, how did we get here to the beta version of, of Puzmo and, and gamifying even the beta aspect of it? Um, when did that idea come about? Oh, you, so like the, the pre-launch kind of process, like how yeah. are we? Yeah. So, so I think, I mean, a big part of it is just, if you're gonna, you know, if you launch a game, you can put it on an app store and anyone can download it and play it. Um, and that's fine. You get a hundred players, that's fine. You get a million players, that's fine. They're all playing on their own phones or their own consoles or whatever. But if you make a website um, or a heavy web service product, everybody's kind of playing on your server. And so there just isn't one of the biggest problems you run into creating a product like this is thinking about how you are actually going to scale it up. How are you actually going to get from 10 users to 100 users to 1,000 users to 10,000 users to you know 100,000 to a million users. And each of those jumps is very difficult to prepare for. And even if you do prepare for it, um, you're kind of like, 
you never build a bridge like this, right? Like the, the way that you actually have to build a, build a, a, a site in this kind of experience is put it up, come up with a plan for how you're going to reinforce it and then drop so many people on it that it breaks and then try to fix it, <laughs> fix it as fast as possible according to your plan. Like that's that. And if you've done a good job, what you've done is built a plan that like it is actually very quick to fix. It doesn't break in ways that are really substantial. You, you know, there's just, it's too complicated to actually have a way to, to do this properly. So we knew that as a launch, we were going to have to do that kind of process, we were going to have to make people wait in line. Um, so we sort of sat down and thought, well, how do we make waiting in line fun? What is what is going to, you know, what are the things that are bad about waiting in line? So one thing that's bad about waiting in line is uh, when bots jump in and steal all the spots and and all the humans don't actually get to wait in line because they're, the, the line is flooded with bots. Um, and then one thing that's good about waiting in line is when waiting in line is uh, makes you feel special. Like you feel like, oh, I got to wait in this line because I I knew about something that other people didn't know about. I found it a little bit sooner. Um, and so those were kind of the or or I knew a person who told me about this, and and they're really connected. And so I got to got to get in here. <laughs> and those are kind of the two experiences that we were kind of thinking about when we thought about how can we we build this structure. And so. Um, the the other part of it, I guess, was we, you know, I think early on we knew that we wanted to send people a puzzle uh, because the story that we wanted people to have was I did a puzzle and that got me into Puzzma because I'm, I'm mm. good at a puzzle. I did a really cool puzzle. Um, but we didn't know how to make people wait, really. We had an early idea where we were going to have... Um, you know, some kind of competitive leaderboard structure that would get people in, but that felt like, you know, there's not going to, not everybody's going to feel competitive, right? How does somebody who's not competitive get to enjoy an experience like this? Um, so we settled on this idea that if we actually mailed people something, that would be a different way to wait in line. Um, because, you know, if you're standing waiting in line for five days, that, that doesn't feel very fun. But if you know something's coming in the mail in five days, then it feels sort of like Christmas or a birthday or Hanukkah or whatever. Like it feels exciting that this thing mm -hmm. is coming. So we were very attracted to this idea of mailing people something. And then the problem became, sorry, I give long answers. No, <laughs> I love long answers. <laughs> um, so then the problem became like, we want to mail someone a good puzzle, but it costs, you know, about a buck to get someone a puzzle in the mail. And so what we don't want to do is mail someone a puzzle that's too hard for them to solve. Uh, and then they don't solve it and then they don't get on the website. And so we've spent money to give someone a good experience and then they haven't even had that experience and they haven't even made it to our website. So we had to come up with a bunch of different solutions to how to approach that. And the first one was that we would use a filter puzzle on the website to make sure that somebody who was receiving this was somebody who was good at puzzles, who liked puzzles. And so we have a variety of different puzzles on the website. And depending on which of those puzzles you solve, you get a different postcard in the mail that's related to that puzzle that you solved so that you're doing a puzzle that you've already demonstrated some degree of competence on. And then the second part of it was that we wanted to make sure that, um, that the puzzle you get, even if it's hard, it could be solved by anybody. And so what we ended up doing is working with a lottery scratch off house and sending puzzles in the mail that are all scratch offs. Uh, 
So if you really can't solve the puzzle, you can just scratch off everything and then you'll be able to solve the puzzle. <laughs> but if you're good at the puzzle, uh, you'll only scratch off the right things. And so then you kind of get this little artifact of like actually being able to prove that you were good at the puzzle and you solved this thing properly. And we get the ability to send a puzzle that's hard enough that it feels like a cool, exciting journey um, to you. And, and then the last part of it that, that just fit with the story for me is it's, you know, it's not only that you're going to solve a puzzle and that gets you into the website and that feels good and it feels like thematic and appropriate, but also that um, it, it's kind of like what we're doing is we're making a, a, a digital version of a, of a paper games page and the, the newspaper games page um, whether it's in a newspaper or in highlights magazine or something like that, it's like a well-loved cultural institution and being able to send people a paper puzzle that is unlike any paper puzzle they've ever played. It's a brand new puzzle or four different brand new puzzles, depending on which one you get. To me, it's sort of like we're saying we really get it with the paper games page. We understand what's special about this and we're going to send you a paper games page so that you yourself see that and you understand that. And then when you reach Puzmo, you've already sort of agreed that like, we do understand this. We understand you. We understand what you're coming from and what you're excited about. And you're ready for us to show you the digital version of, of that. I love that. I, I love the three steps of that. A, first of all, the bot issue. I wish, uh, Every time, you know, my, my girlfriend and I tried to get Taylor Swift tickets early this summer, we would have had to complete a puzzle involving her lyrics instead of just having the bots yeah. scoop us. <laughs> if Taylor would like to license any of my puzzles, <laughs> I might you know, email me. Please. <laughs> um, but two, like playing into the lineage of, of the specialness of having the physical puzzle in your hand. And, and by the way, love the Highlights Magazine shout out that I, I miss doing those in doctor's offices dearly. Um, but three, then it, it filters into that, you know, one of the pillars you laid out at the beginning describing Puzmo about community. It makes you feel like you're a part of something like um, you're in at the ground floor of something secret and special and you have this physical thing that makes you feel seen and, and like your secret golden ticket, if you will, into this puzzle society. You know, golden ticket was something that we wanted to use as language and it turns out that it is trademarked. Is it? Oh, wow. Okay. Shout out Wonka, I guess. Yeah, by the, the Wonka <laughs> folks. <laughs> so... Speaking of the, the people don't know, but but w Willy Wonka is actually a very uh, legal 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 fellow and has has really locked up all of uh, his IP. He's got he'll a goofy the Oompa persona, out but to get he's you. very serious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with the turning the physical games page into a digital product and, and all of the the fun that comes from making it digital, um, what were the elements of a physical games page that you wanted to maintain and respect and what were the parts you wanted to twist and have fun with, you know, being no longer confined by the limits of like a physical page. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing with the games page was that it is, there is something special about the games page that gets people who don't care about games to try new games. That is like the secret superpower of this page. And you can see it really you know, easily if you just watch how anybody plays the games page, right? Like I, I grew up, uh, with my mom doing the New York times crossword puzzle and she plays 
Ken Ken and she tries their other games and, you know, to no touch, she gave it a shot. Um, like she's not somebody who goes and looks for games. She doesn't read about games. She tries my games now. Um, <laughs> but when we were growing up, she was not somebody who, who did that stuff. Um, and yet she tried these games, you know, a lot of people who do crosswords get into Sudoku people who are readers of the times, you know, there's a lot of love for the sort of yearly, you know, puzzle issue. There's the, the, I think the New Yorker has like a puzzle issue that everybody loves. There's just like, you know, puzzle games are the hardest game in the world to pitch. There's no game harder than a puzzle game to pitch because if you've made a Metroidvania and you need to pitch it, you just do a trailer that looks like a Metroidvania, but has a great <laughs> vibe and people go, Oh, cool. I want to play that. Um, or the same for a first person shooter or like, you know, sure you need to, maybe you talk about your story a little bit, but people love hearing about a story in a trailer. If you want to pitch a puzzle game, the thing that's cool about a puzzle game is the rules and the situations that come out of the rules. So pitching a puzzle game is kind of like trying to explain the rules of a board game to a stranger <laughs> in 15 seconds. It's like you couldn't have a more difficult thing. And it just gets worse when you go out to press and are like, okay, now I need to convince press to write about this article and I don't want them to be explaining the rules. So you have to, or at least I had to, you know, with my games really stretch the bounds of like, why am I making this? What's exciting about it? This is how I end up, you know, pitching stories like, um, uh, fairness is overrated to NPR to pitch the really bad chess game that I've created, right? It's mm -hmm. like you need to find ways that that the dynamics of these games relate to things that people actually care about so that you can talk about them um, and get people interested in them without actually telling them how the game works because you absolutely under no circumstances can tell people how the game works. People's brains, you know, just turn right off. Um, and so the... But... <laughs> puzzle puzzle games pages are somehow getting you know everybody's mother in their late 50s to try sudoku which is a hell of a magic trick because sudoku <laughs> is a really complicated game and you know my mom doesn't care about fine you know she just wants to play the crossword every day but she's trying these new games and what i eventually realized is that the way that it works is just a different version of the way that I'm trying to market my games anyway, you know, the guy, the kind of games I like, I'm, or the kind of games I make, I'm trying to market them to normal, um, just everyday people who are interested in games, but don't, would never say they're interested in games or would never act in any way to, 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 you know, effectuate that interest. Um, and a lot of the ways that these people discover games are somebody personally recommends it to them, or they look over someone's shoulder on the subway and they see them playing something. And the newspaper games page is essentially just a big shoulder that you're looking over on the subway. You know, you're playing your game and next to it are a bunch of other games. And the way that newspaper games are designed, they're meant to evoke a sense of what the puzzle is about just by you looking at it. You know, you see the Sudoku every day. Maybe you don't really know what the rules are, but your brain starts to put together questions like why are these numbers here what do they mean why is this box really filled up oh why is it only one to nine why is it different every day how does this work maybe i'll read the rules <laughs> and that process of sort of slowly building up curiosity over you know potentially months 
is actually really, really powerful. And it's very antithetical to the way that we have experiences on the internet or traditionally publish things. Like usually when you think about how, how you're going to pitch something, you're like, all right, I have 10 seconds that someone's going to have an experience while they're scrolling through TikTok. And I need to sell people on that experience in 10 seconds so that they remember that they're going to go to my Steam page and download my game. And if I'm lucky, I'll get to have that experience two or three times. So they have this little 10 second experience. Um, and it's just like, that is a very manic way to, tr to try to do something. And I think newspaper games pages have this other approach that's very chill. And it's just like, look, we're just going to put it here. You don't have to, um, you know, it's weirdly, it's one that I've been doing with, with my, with my kid, um, a very common, uh, like with potty training, I'll just uh -huh. be like, all right, man, we're just going to go in the bathroom and I'm just going to hang out in here. And when you're ready to use the potty, sit down in the potty and use it. And, you know, he'll do his thing. And then eventually it's like, yeah, all right, I guess I'll do this. And it works. That's like <laughs> a, a magical way that, that people learn. It's funny to, I guess <laughs> it's like a ridiculous comparison, but, but that is really special. And it turns out that actually there's a lot more that you can do once you have something where people are just there and they're looking and they're, they're enjoying this experience. So, you know, on our page, we have games that you look at and then there's, you know, another game that you, maybe you scrolled past for, for a week and now you actually want to try it. Um, but there are other things that we can put there. I think, you know, our page for, for listeners who are probably not staring at it, it really looks like a newspaper. It has a multi-column layout unless you're looking on a phone. So it's like a dynamic layout. Um, and it really, it feels really good. It feels like you're going to, um, sometimes internally we joke about it as, as it's like a newspaper, but without the news, it's just the fun <laughs> stuff in the newspaper. Um, and what that lets us do is it gives us lots of space to put words and to put other components that you might expect on, on a platform, you know, like Xbox Live, but that other platforms have had to dial back because they can be annoying. So things like, you know, it's very cool to know when your friends are playing games you play and how they're doing and how you're doing and, you know, did something cool happen on the platform the other day? What was the biggest word that anyone found in Spell Tower? All of that stuff is, you know, the traditional way of, of, of showing that information is writing it in a newsletter or sending you a notification or waiting for your friend to brag to you about a game or a thing that they did on the platform or waiting for them to post it to Twitter. Um, but because we're structured like a newspaper where we have this laid back attitude of, you know, we're just going to put something here that gives us a lot of incredible opportunity to surface things that we never would would want to surface because it would be annoying. So like you're scrolling down the page and you're going to a game and you might see, you know, oh, Zach uh, solved the crossword today and he, he did it 10 minutes faster than you. And then you might be like, oh, holy cow, and <laughs> hop over to messages and send me a message and be like, damn, nice time on the crossword today. That kind of experience that like I think social networks tend to give us where they're just putting stuff there and letting you see it. It's not an experience I've seen so much um, in the game space, even though we have all of these platforms and all of these social spaces that we're building. And so, so that, that is the, the extremely long answer to, to, you know, what, what is the stuff that we really took from, from the games page? And it's just the, the actual, you know, physical architecture of it. Yeah. And I, I love the, like you said, the, the fusing of the physical architecture and the look of what you expect from a physicals game page with the social networking that 
you know, you can do by making it digital and, but it still feels in line with the lineage of what you want from a physical games page. Like growing up doing Sudoku with my, my mom or the crossword with my grandpa and it would be collaborative. Um, but meanwhile, you know, it's easy to think of a version of this where you're doing this in isolation by yourself on your computer, but now adding those columns that are like, so, and you know, your friend scored this, or they had a higher score than you keeps that line of going of even though a newspaper can be isolating it's something you can bring to a friend and you work on together um and and to my understanding that is something uh available or at least will be available in Puzmo as well like being able to do the crossword collaboratively right yeah so as part of the platform every game is a real-time collaborative if you want it to be Uh, And you can send invites to people on the platform. You can send invites over text messages to people who aren't even on the platform. Well, you can't right now because the platform is behind a big wall uh, because you got to get an account. But down the line, once once it's fully open, you can just you know easily collaborate with anyone on on anything. And that and that's another big part of it. Yeah. So let's get to get into the games themselves. Um, One thing I thought was interesting, and I, I I assume this wasn't the case, but like. This hasn't been like a big like for sorry for lack of a better analogy, but a, an Avengers moment. Have you been like secretly making type shift in Spell Tower to eventually build to big the big Puzmo moment, or no. uh, <laughs> did you realize that these would work into this project? You know when you started developing Puzmo. Yeah, I mean I haven't ever really been doing anything to try to build towards anything. Um, I have like a funky. Uh, a sort of like, uh, <laughs> like mental thing where basically I like I'm I'm incapable really of doing anything except living in the moment. Like I'm just fully present all the time, and I have a really bad memory, um, and I never think about the future, which is part of why I said my subconscious is just a soup that surfaces things. Um, so definitely no, there was no planning to do this. The only thing I've ever tried to do with games is uh, a long time ago, I had this realization that uh, I was doing and still do a lot of interactive conceptual artwork. And interactive artwork and conceptual artwork are sort of the edge of the the impossible to under... You know, if you take someone into a museum and they're like, well, I don't understand paintings, they really don't understand conceptual artwork. Uh, it's like the hardest zone, the biggest nightmare of work for people to understand. And it's stuff that I always thought was really important because conceptual artwork, interactive artwork, it's all about experience and being able to unpack the experiences that you're having, um, and, and get something out of them in in a way that like paintings will give you an experience. And if you live with paintings, you, you get this experience every day and it becomes a sort of experiential thing, but experiential art, interactive art, conceptual art, it's really like deep in like our entire art form is about talking about an experience. And I had this moment really early on where I sort of clicked for me that, that actually Um, weirdly, the literacy that people have and get from playing games about being able to unpack and think through experiences, back up, be critical, have, you know, problem solving thoughts, think about things, start to understand systems, start to understand where we are in them. And you can see some of this in in the filtered through into the Puzmo manifesto, but like that kind of experience that people get from games is actually the same thing that people get from conceptual art and interactive art. And it tripped me out because 
you know, we're taking uh, the most inaccessible, difficult um, artwork in the world, and then we're saying actually, it's this, it, that stuff is speaking the exact same language that the big popular media art form that everybody plays mm-hmm. is is speaking. Um, and I kind of sat down and thought, well, you know what, I, that's what I want to do. If I'm trying to reach people, like I don't want to limit my reach to people in the museum. I want to, I want to try to reach everybody. There's all these people who are just buying smartphones. Smartphones have just come out in this moment. Um, and, uh, and I want to, I want to talk to those people. I want to help those people understand this literacy better because it doesn't just help them um, you know, find better games. It, it, it helps them in the world where we're moving increasingly into a technological future where we're like, forget about being like vaguely subjects of systems like democracy. We're like directly interacting with systems like Twitter and Facebook. And we like really, it really benefits us to be able to step back and think about like, well, why are we behaving this way? Is it, is, is there some component of these systems that driving this? How do, how does this whole thing work? What is even going on? Um, it really matters that we can understand that stuff culturally to, to sort of navigate to, to a healthy place in the future. And so I started working on games that could speak to those people, games that used words or chess pieces or numbers, um, or shapes, things that everybody knows, um, instead of like, you know, all the unwritten rules about how you play an RPG or when Mm -hmm. you're supposed to buy the next piece of equipment or running right in a platform or, you know, there's, there's a ton of literacy that just nobody has that, that I don't think we, I needed to use it to make great games. And so I just been trying to build games like that. And it just happened that, you know, if you're trying to build games that are very approachable, um, that use common literacy that can be played relatively quickly so that people can play a lot of them, um, those are the, those are the same kind of games that, and you're trying to build them in such a way that they're quick to understand and easy to see over somebody's shoulder so that they can be marketable. It turns out that like, I kind of accidentally backed my way into making the kinds of games that are appropriate, um, that newspapers are also interested in because they have all the same problems. They're trying to pitch these games to people who don't care, who don't have any experience. They're trying to build games that are appealing um, to people who want to have a kind of in, an intellectual experience to get something out of the games that that they're that they're playing. Um, so I built those games for that reason, and and you know because I think I was building those games and and caught some attention from the Times and got put a little bit on this path. Um, it just you know uh, that just is the thing is the thing that happened. I think. I'm the kind of person who, because I'm operating in a moment in the moment, I'm following the things that are appealing to me right now. I think there's a lot of worlds where I wasn't even in games. You know, I, I saw games um, when I started getting interested in games. It was the same moment as the birth of the App Store, and I looked at that and thought, "Hey, this is a place where I can do the thing that I want to do if I use this medium to do it." And so now I'm a person who makes games and I'm a game designer and this is, this is the thing. But, you know, I think I could have been doing anything if the world had been spinning in a, in a different direction. Um, if I'd, you know, come to technology and, and, and graduated from college and been interested in, in saying something, you know, 10 years later. And, and so this is the same. It's, you know, we, we had these games. I had this catalog. There's a lot of stuff I want to do. I want to be able to build a platform that's a better fit for for what I'm trying to do. And and it was easy to notice that that newspaper games were 
something that felt like it was on the rise and that we could really compete in and that it was a place that would value the time that we were spending. Um, and we were right. I think we got you know lucky that a year into it, Wordle came out and the entire rest of the world sort of went, oh, what? People, people actually care about this stuff. That's a lot of people who are playing this game. What's going on here? And we were, you know, many years ahead. Um, but yeah, it's just, we're just sort of following the, the, the fun and the, and the way to, to, to do something important. So or try to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think as in the games that you've made, like good Sudoku, really bad chess or various spins on, on word puzzles. It's, I, I haven't really thought about the literacy of it, but it, it makes no sense why those games are so the depth of them are, are easy or the they're easy to grasp at first, but the depth of them can continue to be mined um, because their, their plays on things we're familiar with. Um, but remixed or reinterpreted in, in ways that give them a fresh spin, but can still be picked up on by somebody who learned them and have played them their whole life. Um, which then brings me to crossword. Uh, and as it's stylized in Puzmo has the, uh, the pipe symbol down the middle between cross and word. Um, how did you go about, you know, doing your own take or, or virtualizing the crossword puzzle, something that has been so kind of wrote and understood as a certain thing for, you know, as long as it's been in the newspaper game section? Yeah, I mean, so um, the big thing for me with crosswords, there were like a couple components that are, I guess there were like a couple tenants to the approach that I wanted to take with crosswords. Um, and they, I'll just go through them in chronological order. <laughs> so the very first thing I thought through with the crossword was if I'm going to make a crossword, I want to do the thing that I've done with these other games. Like I don't want to make a game that's not approachable ever. It's just not worth it to me. I want to, I want to expand games. I want to expand people's literacy. I want people to, you know, I want to respect people's curiosity and, and, and pay it back to them so that when they play my games, they leave even more curious about games and what else they can do. So there was no way I was going to do a crossword puzzle if I couldn't make it more approachable. And when I thought about it, there were two things that, that sort of came up immediately that, um, well, I guess maybe I'll talk about the problems. So there are a couple problems with crosswords that I'd experienced in my life. Usually when I'm working on a game, it's a game that I don't enjoy playing regularly. <laughs> if it's a game that I do enjoy playing regularly, it's not interesting to try to fix because part of my process is going on the journey that I'm trying to take people on. And so with crossword, I've never gotten into crosswords. And there are a couple of reasons. The, the, the biggest experience that I have with crosswords previous to making crossword is... Um, Sitting down, trying a bunch of clues, getting kind of stuck, feeling like I had to go to Google a clue, and then going to Google and starting to type it in, and then going, this isn't fun, and then stopping. <laughs> and I think there's been a lot of um, conversation around, like, is it okay to look up crossword clues? Like, is that cheating? Is that not cheating? And for me, like, that's not even the question. For me, it's just not fun. That's not a fun game. I don't want to play Google. I want to play crossword. <laughs> and so, you know, one of the things I knew had to go into this is like, players should never need to look up a hint for a crossword. They should never need to go to Google. And more important than that, they should never feel like they need to go to Google. Um, there are a couple things that made it feel like 
very funny to me that like directed me towards Google. Um, when I started, so I, you know, I pulled open the New York Times crossword and I started trying to solve this problem. And the first thing that I noticed is if you're playing a crossword in the New York Times crossword, there's a little life preserver icon that you can hit if you're stuck. And if you hit it, it pops up a menu that's very standard in every crossword. So this isn't a dig on the New York Times crossword at all. This is how they all work. It pops up a menu that says, do you want to check this square? Do you want to check this board? Do you want to check this word for errors? Do you want to do any of those three things? Do you want to reveal this square? Do you want to reveal this word? Do you want to reveal the whole board? And to me, as a player who doesn't know anything about crosswords, I was like, I don't want to do any of that. I don't want to make a decision. I just want to play this game. Like, give me the thing that's fun. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to decide how I want help? That's not fun. So I knew that whatever I designed it had to be one button that you could push that would give you help. Um, it couldn't be this sort of salad of options because when people need help, they don't want to decide how to get help. They just want to have a fun time and keep going. And so that made me realize maybe the answer to this is actually much simpler than than a design problem would 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 propose. Maybe the answer is just we make a button that says hint. And when you press it, you get another clue. And that clue is kind of like what someone would give you if you were stuck and you were working on a puzzle with someone. It might be, you know, having a friend who says something really clever that's going to help you find the answer. Um, and the thing that appealed to me immediately about this idea is not just that, you know, it's a very, these crosswords are constructed by hand. So it's very doable to, to you know, just have a second set of clues on every crossword. Um, but also that, when you get this help, you're also looking at the original clue. So if you solve a, a, a secondary clue, an easier clue, even though you're not actually solving the original clue, you kind of are. Mm. And you're looking at it and you go, oh, that's what that clue was asking for. Now I see how this works. And the real trick with crosswords is that when you first get into them, they feel like trivia. And there is trivia, but the biggest a complication about getting into crosswords is actually learning the culture of crosswords. And that's what you solve by giving people an easier clue that doesn't rely on like crossword literacy that just gets you to an answer. And then you look at it and you go, oh, that's, that's what it meant. That's what the, the, the crossword was asking for. And the more you do that, the more you slowly build up the, the literacy in a player. So, so that's our biggest trick is, is having these hint buttons that like let you answer, that give you a clue right under it. Um, and if you still don't know the answer, you can actually reveal letters. The hint button turns into reveal a letter button, which will get you through the thing. So, so you should never feel like you have to go to Google. You definitely never do have to go to Google. You also never have to think about what kind of help you want. We just give you the right kind of help that's for you in the moment. And then the second trick, which is um, alluded to with the pipe in the name, is that, uh, and this one ended up being a lot smarter than I thought it was when I pitched it, but <laughs> uh, or a lot more interesting. Um, one of the things that I started noticing about crosswords is um, players get especially frustrated when they feel like the crossword didn't tell them about something. So if you're looking for like a six-letter word that means... Um, it, you know, uh, or a nine letter word that's like a kind of puzzle. Um, you might not know, uh, 
Oh, geez. Yeah. I'm like, it's impossible to come up. Basically, when, when people play a crossword, a lot of people do not know that an answer can contain multiple words. And the reveal when you find out that an answer can, can contain multiple words is, well, that's cheap. I didn't know about that. I would have thought about it totally differently because there's nothing in the crossword that ever tells you that. And so your first experience of discovering that is always going to feel disappointing or unfair, um, or it will be your friend telling you, and then you didn't actually get to have the experience of solving it yourself. And so what we did is we put a line on the grid. Um, we call them space bars, which is our very stupid, cheeky name for them. <laughs> um, but we basically put a space bar on the grid anywhere where there is a gap. Um, so anytime there are multiple words in answer, uh, we put a, a line in between those squares so that you know. Um, and it ended up actually being really interesting. It didn't just solve this problem of forecasting to the player that uh, an answer can be multiple words. It also creates a level of logic that is now overlaying on top of the puzzle. Um, if you're looking for like a five-letter word that means something and you get a letter, a single letter in it, that often isn't going to help you solve the answer. But if there's a space bar in that word and you're looking and it turns out the answer is a two-letter word and a three-letter word, one letter, especially in the two-letter word, might be enough to make you figure out how to answer it. It might be like, oh, well, this, you know, it's the word is O, so the, the answer is either so blank or too blank. Um, and that's, that's a, like a really meaningful, logical anchor. It's a, like a way to dynamically uh, weight somebody's solutions a little bit higher. Sometimes a letter in one place is, is really substantially better than a letter in another place in terms of providing a valuable cross on the word that you're trying to solve. Um, and so it, it ends up just making the puzzles, it gives our crosswords a little bit extra of a dose of logic, which I think is really fun. And more importantly, it never feels like you're cheating. It just feels like this is how the puzzle works, um, which, which is also very important for us, you know, building more uh, appropriate puzzles. Um, so that's the extremely long answer about what our actual <laughs> software is. Um, but there's another tenant that, that, that is sort of related to this. And that is um, launching a daily crossword is really complicated. And we had to, to do the hints. Um, and so we sat down and we thought, you know, if we're going to launch a daily crossword, we want to launch something that's really great, that's different than the crosswords that everybody's experiencing. Um, we know that there are some crosswords out there that are really uh, interesting, um, where people are trying to do something that's like substantially different than, than you know, the sort of clues about golf and, and shows and 18th century composers. Um, but a lot of those puzzles are just not well known. And we want to be able to build a crossword that is modern and talks about interesting um, topics and really is a sort of dynamic, diverse kind of experience that isn't just, um, you know, the basic stuff. And I think part of uh, having all of these help uh, things in our crossword gives us a lot of extra license to do things that are a little bit less standard because the difficulty in crosswords really comes from how far outside of the expected culture is, is something. And so, you know, having a hint button not only helps somebody like me who's coming to crosswords new, it, it also helps somebody who's 
played crosswords forever and is wrestling with a kind of clue that they never expected to see in a crossword that they might love and and, and find representation on in a way that they didn't expect. And so we ended up finding um, this crossword uh, editor, Brooke Husick, who's really amazing. Um, and was, she's very interested in, in both like expanding, uh, where crosswords can come from, but also sort of exalting the voice of, of the, of the crossword creator, uh, which are kind of hit her words for, for it, um, that, that we run puzzles that are really focused on, um, letting the, the person creating the crossword speak in their own voice and not trying to fit it in, into something else so that we end up getting crosswords that feel really different, that feel like you're, um, you know, a lot closer to kind of reading a, a short story or a blog or something by somebody that you, you feel like it's a personal experience. And then after we solve, after you solve the puzzle, we give you a little note from that person at the end talking about why they created the puzzle and what clues they started with and, you know, or what answers they started with and, and what they found interesting. Um, so those are the, the kind of the two pieces, like really rethinking what the game could be and then also rethinking um, what it could mean to, to, to have a crossword and, um, and how we could do something that's just supremely different and cool and, and modern. Yeah. I like it as someone who has always admired uh, daily crossword um, players, but also does not like, as you said at the beginning, uh, want to play Google. Um, I appreciate the hint system entirely, and and it's cool to have um, put more of a voice and and you know acknowledgement of the voice behind the daily puzzle. Um, again, helping aid that larger sense of community around um, just the. The daily, not just people playing the games themselves, but the people making the games. Um, so, as when it comes to the, the the making of the games themselves, what does the the Puzmo team look like? I know um, you co-founded it with Orta uh, Therox. I, I sorry if I mispronounced their last name. Um, do you have like how big is the team? Who else are you working with? Yeah, so it's I mean it's pretty small. Um, you know, it, it really, for a very long time, it was just, uh, Orta and I, um, and then we've sort of slowly grew. Um, and now I think we're probably around eight, eight people ish, although we're still expanding, um, a little bit. I think, uh, a big person on the team early on, um, was Salmon Bamel Benrood, who is a really, uh, he basically cut his teeth at Mapbox, um, which is kind of an industrial scale map providing company. Um, so basically a company that really built very rugged, reliable, um, uh, websites essentially. Mm. Um, one of the things that's kind of funny about Puzmo is that we really needed a killer tech team to do some of the stuff that we're doing. Um, so Orta comes from, he scaled artsy and then he went and worked uh, at Microsoft on the type shift team. Um, he's one of these like super engineer guys. Um, and then S salmon is sort of like, we found somebody who, uh, had worked at one of these wild companies doing really hardcore web development, but he's interested in making games. Um, so it's like, we have somebody who's like an illustrator who's interested in games and is doing games, but has these incredible skills to just write the stuff that we're doing kind of right on top of, um, web stuff. We're not using any engines. Um, we're just sort of like a custom 
tech stack. Um, obviously, I talked about Brooke. Uh, we have Jack on the team who I've worked with for a couple of years now. Jack, I think is probably the best, um, in the world at writing puzzle generators. So building, you know, we mm-hmm. wrote the, the good Sudoku one together, uh, the not words generator. He had to come up with all these wild cryptographic techniques to basically be able to generate great puzzles in this stuff in, in this space. And, and one of the realizations that I had working with him on good Sudoku is, when you play these sort of minimalist puzzle games, it really feels like the rules are the thing that's magical about them, but they're not. The The puzzles are the thing that's magical about them. Um, and being able to write a really, you know, the, the rules are what make them unique, but the puzzles are what make them good. Mm-hmm. And so being able to write a really great puzzle generator can turn a puzzle game from something that you would toss away to something that feels like an instant classic. Um, so having him on to help us writing the the generators for all of our games is, is really important. Um, and then we have, um, we're, we're hiring up some more engineers soon. Um, and then we have a couple um, sort of business people on board. Uh, we have a- Andrew Danes, who's kind of our GM, um, and it's, you know, working on all of the, uh, publishers, uh, things, sponsors, advertising, servicing, uh, being like, a a go between, um, he's sort of our, our Hearst side of things. And then, uh, we have a, a really cool salesperson and, uh, and a product sort of person, Kevin and Molly, um, are people who we also talk with every day. And for me, it's super wild, um, to be able to work with. It's really, uh, for me, it's really sort of personally thrilling to get to work with people who actually put more than one pass on press materials or marketing or sales. Like these are people who are thinking really hard about how to do this stuff properly, um, which is, uh, and, and then coming to me with their thoughts and we're, you know, working together on, on, on how to take the, the thing that they put together and turn it into something that like fits the vision that we have and does the, the business thing that we need. It's, it's like a whole new world for me. Um, and that's really fun. Uh, and then, and then of course we also have some, um, kind of smaller contract partners. Uh, all the animation on the site is by Nelson Bowles, who I think is just a, a total genius. I worked with him on card of darkness, um, alongside Pendleton Ward. Uh, and then all the illustrations on the site are, are by Angie Wang, who's my, one of my favorite, um, my favorite for sure kind of editorial artist to work with. I've worked with her, um, for many years sort of pitching, um, you know, putting together editorial illustrations, promo illustrations for my games. And so having her on Puzmo has been really fun. A big part of Puzmo's design, visual design, um, which people will see is that it's meant to almost be invisible. You know, it's meant to have the, the, the design of a newspaper. It fades in the background. It promotes the content, um, the games, all the pieces of information, all that stuff is supposed to kind of shine on top of this like architecture that was very intentionally designed, but very much meant to be invisible, like the font choice in, in a novel. Um, and so because of that, we, when we integrate like an animation or a hand-drawn illustration into the site, it's very loud, um, in a very cool way. And so, uh, I think we've made a lot of space for Nelson's animations and, and Angie's drawings to really feel really dynamic and, and lend like a sort of to punch above, above the weight of, of how many of them and where they are, um, because the rest of it is so sort of stayed. Mm. 
I appreciate you breaking down the team, especially because um, I'm sure one of the reasons, you know, as you noted at the beginning with other companies doing like the times doing daily puzzles and they all live in, in separate little homes and stuff like the actual engineering that goes behind putting all of this on the same page it working and not each you know one piece breaking another while meanwhile also having social elements and sets i can't imagine what the back end making that work looks like yeah i mean i, I think you know i think if somebody was trying to sort of set out to do what we did they would probably need a 12 person team from the start uh where we kind of had a three person team um just because orda and salmon are such incredible uh engineering talents um I, I think one of the things that I sort of found funny about the experience of developing this is it's very easy to forget that these days when we go to websites, almost every website we go to is run by a billion dollar company um, or a many or hundred million dollar company. You know, we're going to Facebook and Twitter and, you know, giant blog aggregators um, you know, who are running very various websites and even, even, you know, many sites, even if you go to what feels like a sort of smaller news website, it's often in the back end owned by a very large, uh, media company like Hearst or Condé Nast or the New York times or something like that. You really don't encounter just normal websites that are built by like a person very frequently anymore on the web. And so one of the experiences that has been funny for me with Puzmo is I think most people, when they go to Puzmo, they're just going to have the experience of, oh, this is how this should work. This is, this is a website. This is what I expect. And they've really designed this very well. Um, so, so it works great. You know, hopefully that's the experience that they have. But the reality <laughs> is what it took to put together what, you know, essentially looks like a, a three column newspaper layout with some games on it is like kind of unfathomable to me, <laughs> you know, in retrospect. Yeah. Well, again, uh, props to the team for, for making it work. And I'm excited to see as you know, the beta continues, how it evolves. Um, which then brings me, you know, we're coming to the end of our, our time here. Um, with what's next for Puzmo, how is the beta going? What are the, the the things your team is working on and and what can us people out in the public expect from the from the platform next um you know a lot i think if you go to the website there's sort of an unbelievable amount of designed stuff that i think people are gonna probably just still be discovering new little things and corners for a while um but on some level the website was really our like you know minimum viable candidate uh, it, there's a lot that we still want to add. We have a ton of games in the pipeline that we want to get on. There are a lot of features that we still haven't, you know, had the time to put together. There are ways we want to rethink how some of the leaderboards are working. We're still like basically live updating our experimental game, not words and talking about it in the discord. Um, we're trying to get into a clear schedule of, of, of when we release games and, and new games on the site. There's still a lot of work to be done in making groups more and more compelling, uh, you know, changing some of the uh, shoring up, making multiplayer work really well, adding, you know, you'll notice on the website, there's no, there's nothing that even approximates a daily challenge system. And I have a whole sort of separate design take that I could talk 
um, an hour about for for what what we want to do there. Um, there's just a ton of stuff that's that's like real meaty features um, that's just on top of also paying attention to what people are talking about and what they're interested in and trying to find ways um, to to meet people where they want to be on the website. Um, I think there's also a lot of uh, kind of marketing stunts and things we want to do, ways we want to explore uh, cool ideas with streamers. Um, I literally have like, uh, you know, I designed, I think, seven games over the course of putting Puzmo together and only three of them are on it. Um, and every day we sort of find new, new games that we're designing. So even, you know, outside this massive roadmap that we have, there are a lot of games that I'm really excited to put on the website um, also that are just new. So we're kind of digging uh, out from under a giant pile. And, and obviously the more games we put on, the more um, uh, stuff that we have to think about in terms of like, where do we put those games? How does the website evolve to, to be a, a larger and larger thing? We can't have a games page where your front page has 40 games on it. Like that's, that's <laughs> not um, approachable or, or understandable. Um, so there's just kind of an, an endless amount of stuff to do. Well, that's very exciting. And there's no, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there's no timeline or launch window for the full version, right? There is, but it's not version. something that we're, it's a little fuzzy, so we haven't really talked about it. You know, I think um, it's tough to know uh, how, it's tough to know at what point we have we have scaled up and, and handled all of our problems in advance. Um, and so we're still, we're still working on that. And I think there are things coming down the pipe um, where that also affect sort of our, our scaling and the things that we have to solve. And so there's just, it's, a, um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're building a, a, a fleet of boats basically. And <laughs> right now we've got the, the, we're, we're sailing off with a bunch of people who we gave tickets to on, on this one boat. Um, but the, you know, we're trying to, put together something that feels like a, an armada. And I think that's a lot of scaling to do. And we have to figure out what, what that means and, and solve all the technical problems as they come. Understood. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to follow it. Uh, in closing two kind of fun questions to end on, uh, one, I love the mascot of, of Puzmo. D does, does he, she, they have a name who, who designed it? I, I, I want to know more about the little yellow guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I designed, uh, them and we just called them Puzmo. Love. Um, uh, they have one nice, um, they have friends. So there are some <laughs> other different Puzmos. Um, we just, you know, we have Puzmo and then we have blue Puzmo and red, purple <laughs> Puzmo and whatever. There's like a, a number of them that you'll see in the illustrations. Um, one factoid about Puzmo is that Puzmo only has two appendages. Um, they can be <laughs> legs or arms or whatever, but there are only ever two. Um, so if you ever see an illustration, you can notice that, that in fact, there are only two. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, honestly, Puzmo is one of the funny things on the site that I'm kind of, uh, like embarrassingly proud of, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I've done a lot of design. I've included characters in games. Obviously there was the bunny and not words. Um, 
a lot of the creatures in Card of Darkness were drawings that I drew, and then um, Penn or Nelson sort of drew something more fun, uh, like you know, better that looked professional. Um, so there's not, I can't really think of an instance in the past where I've actually done a character and it made it into the final version of a game. Um, but because I always do the design of the logos, um, when I was working on the Puzma logo, we had the website itself kind of up, uh, and I was, you know, looking at this design. And like I said before, the design is very, um, invisible and, and sort of stayed. And I wanted to make sure that it felt fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just sort of had the O in the font and I thought, what if I just cut the cut the O in half and put eyes in there and make it a, a happy person welcoming you. That would be fun. And, and, and when I did it, I thought this is very ridiculous. Like this is not a logo. Um, I sent it to people and they seemed kind of into it. So it just sort of became the thing we were working with. And then the longer we went, um, it just settled in and then people started animating Puzmo and it, it became really <laughs> exciting. And, and, uh, it just, the, the, the character survived and the, and the logo works and um, it kind of works sort of weirdly well. I'm really excited about like our discord, the, the Puzmo oh, is our discord icon yeah. and it's great because Puzmo is a yellow circle and the discord icon is a yellow circle with the face. It's like <laughs> a very strong, memorable thing. And I kind of feel like what we're doing by accident is we're kind of like claiming the yellow smiley face. Like there's a famous yellow smiley face that existed for a very long time. Nobody <laughs> really does anything with it anymore. It kind of went into emojis and then emojis have the yellow smiley and now emojis are, it's just been genericized. And so it feels like, um, that it sort of became gone from the lexicon of what like the yellow smiley face is just like, that's just a letter now, you know, it's an emoji. And so we're sort of like sort of staking a claim again in the yellow smiley face and saying like, no, no, this is, this is Puzmo. This yellow smiley face means Puzmo, <laughs> um, which has been really fun. And now when I type colon uppercase D, I always think, ah, it's kind of Puzmo. There's Puzmo. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm 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 behind the taking back of the yellow smiley face, and hopefully, uh, should Puzmo continue on the track it's going on, I can one day get him on a hat or a shirt or something. <laughs> he's very oh, cute. absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. I, that that is that is assuredly um, one of our uh, or Orda is really into sort of merch. He's always making like stickers and sending them to me, and he is he has sort of gotten a, a hand sewer um custom person oh, to wow. be making these um plush puzmos which yeah. everybody on our team has except for me right now <laughs> um, i'm a little sad about it but they're uh, they're amazing so i think yeah i mean we would love to you know hopefully hopefully this is really popular um and you know if it is uh we've got a lot of kind of ammo behind us, um, from, from the Hearst direction. And so I think there's a, like, you know, the, the world is our oyster if, if people love it. Um, and I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff that, that we will, you know, get to do, um, with this, if, if it, if the, you know, if our little, uh, line keeps moving in the direction it's moving. Yeah. Well, my last question for you, Zach, um, is there are there any hints you can give about those games that are that are still coming to the platform? You've released takes on so many classics. Is is there a certain game in your 
you know, your, your viewpoint that you're, you're aiming to release your take on next? Yeah. I mean, I can talk about any of the stuff that is already games that exist. Um, definitely. So for sure, um, we're gonna, you know, not words is coming. Good Sudoku is coming. Um, we'll have, uh, I really want to get, um, Sage Solitaire and Flip Flop Solitaire on there. You know, a lot of these games, when we put them on the website, we have to revisit them and think about, you know, both how do we restyle them to make them fit with the website so they fit with the other games and feel like a natural thing? How do we get multiplayer into them? How do we um, think about uh, keyboard controls for accessibility? Um, and then other accessibility stuff, you know, download, we also need to figure out screen readers and all of, all of those things. We don't have that in a lot of the games right now. We are sort of experimenting with it on the crossword. So that's going to be part of the toolkit of things that we have to figure out. Um, but we also have to think about what does it mean for this to be a single play daily game? You know, something mm. like Sage Solitaire has a bunch of different difficulty modes. Some of those are things that you can play in five seconds. Some of those are really hard and they're going to be played in, you know, 20 minutes. What is it? you know, people might play five or 10 in a sitting. What does it mean that you're just going to play one of these? How do we get the difficulty to be in a place where it's appropriate for everybody? Um, all of this stuff requires sort of a lot of thought, even if we already have a game that we know is, is really good. Um, so certainly all of that stuff is, is coming. And then, you know, I, I really want to fill out the, um, catalog of games with just all kinds of experiences. I, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of subtlety to the kinds of ways that people approach a news website. Uh, and there are a lot of different kinds of experiences that people have that you might not even think about as interactive experiences, but it's just the way that you're using something. Um, and so I think there are a lot of games in the zone of sort of games that I literally couldn't launch anywhere else that that the kind of experience that Puzmo supports and the kind of way that people approach it um, really allows for. And so there's like a, just a ton of games in that category that I'm really interested in. And then, of course, you know, uh, we're just we've come up with a whole bunch of word games and card games and logic games uh, that we also really like that that haven't you know, we haven't been able to program them and get them on the site yet. Um, I can say I think the next game that we're launching is another word game. Um, but then after that, the game we launch will be another non non word game. Um, so we're trying to you know strike a good balance there too. Awesome. Well, that's all very exciting, Zach. And while we wait for those games to release, where can the people find you? Where can the people find and follow and support Puzmo? Oh my God, I've never answered that question after um, Twitter exploded. Uh, <laughs> I guess um, I'm on Mastodon at, at Helvetica at Mastodon.gamedev.place. That's where I post most of the time. Um, but I'm also on Twitter or whatever it's called now um, at Helvetica, uh, although I don't spend a ton of time there. So I very fair. Like reach out to me there. That's not a good place to do it. Um, but uh, I, and I think my Mastodon is linked on there somewhere. Um, if not, I should probably put it somewhere on there. <laughs> and, uh, I've, uh, Puzmo.com, of course, um, for anybody wanting to check out the platform, is there anywhere yes. else we should point people to, to find the game right now or the platform, I should say. 
No, I think Puzma.com is the place. Um, and uh, yeah, once you get on Puzma.com, also there's a there's a Discord, and then I also have a, a Discord for my games, which is uh, linked on my Twitter profile as well. Um, so there's you know I'm on the internet. <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone, go follow Zach. Go play Puzmo. You can find this show everywhere, including on Twitter and YouTube at Realtime Strats. Email us questions at podcast at triplepointpr.com. And in the meantime, Zach, again, congrats on Puzmo. I'm excited to see the new games coming and the platform continue to evolve. Um, thank you again for your time. And thank you all so much for listening.